You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is the other faithful, the ever loyal, that that devoted friend to you and I, William Gallagher. Now you say that just before you're about to say you're dumping me for half the episode to meet somebody more interesting, but fine. I said that you. I said that you were devoted. Did I say that I was devoted particularly? Okay, do you know it's talk like Keep that up, that makes man. me want to re-examine my contract. <laughs> yeah. Okay. William, you know, I know one of the things that you've talked about at some length with me when we're not doing these recordings, because actually we socialize outside of this show, is your interest in the iPads that are that are potentially coming up. Yeah, it's actually not a personal interest because, frankly, I'm I'm spent out. I have a Mac yeah, Mini. Fixed all this stuff. Well, I'm still using uh, the original iPad Pro large one, and I, and I love it. But yes, I know many people, my wife Angela included, uh, who are very tempted to buy an iPad right now, but keep not buying it because I I keep saying I've heard other rumours that are things are coming. And then yeah, I'm yeah. If nothing happens on March the twenty fifth, I'm going to look like a right idiot. But you know. That's not not for the first time. Okay, but thanks. It's all right when I say that. Okay. <laughs> say I, me. you know you you are the greatest. You really are. I just sometimes it's so easy to go ahead and put those little things in there. Now there there's this March twenty fifth event that we suspect is taking place, and two iPad models have gained certification from the Bureau of Indian Standards, which is the um, Sort of the equivalent to the the FCC in the U.S. It's it's or or CE in um, in Europe. You know the organization that approves a device is is safe for sale. Is not an unintentional radiator of radio waves, things like that. And uh, so there are models A twenty one twenty four and A twenty one thirty three, which um, are Apple branded, manufactured by China's Hongfujin Precision Electronics, and these same models were listed with the Eurasian Economic Commission, the EC, in, in January. So we don't know exactly what these models are, but people are predicting that Apple is going to launch not just a new budget iPad sized at 10.2 inches, but possibly a fifth generation iPad mini. So the, the Mini 4 continues to remain on sale, but that thing last launched in 2015, which puts it pretty long in tooth to people. Yes, but since then we've had the iPhone 10s Max, which, uh, although substantially more expensive, does similar sized jobs. No, no, it really. So, d despite the fact that these things both run iOS, iPad remains a different interface, even when you have the large screen, split screen, when you rotate kind of view on an iPhone. It does. It, it, I mean, they're, they're not exactly unified, right? They aren't. It, it's still. Can can you do split view on your phone? Can you have two apps open side by side on your phone? Okay. No. But each app is exactly the same as it is. You're saying that's it. Uh, I mean, I would like the iPhone XS I mean, to rotate when you turn it uh, in everything, not just certain apps. But other than that, I can't point to a, a substantial difference. No, no. The, the differences are getting smaller, but I, I think that there's still a difference between an iPad mini versus a large phone in terms of how they the OS handles some things. I will tell you that everybody I know who's still got an iPad mini really likes it. Um, they are gorgeous little machines for what they do. Oh, but I know what I was going to ask you about, because you know these things. Uh, 
all this stuff about um, model numbers and things that come through certification and things around the world, I was kind of vaguely aware of this, but I only really concentrated, I suppose is the word, um, just before, I think it was it October, November's event, uh, when suddenly there were a lot of part numbers released that definitively proved there would be something like six new Macs. And you were figuring that they were different versions of the Macs, like the, there might be a 21 and a 27-inch iMac and all this stuff. But then that just didn't seem to happen. So what's the kind of reliability level of all this stuff? Well, so it, it depends a little bit upon the sourcing for it, right? When something is going through one of these, these organiz government organizations to be certified, you can be more sure that something's actually taken place because when, when the these government organizations certify a device, they've had a hands-on with the unit and they've taken it apart. And they've before they've taken it apart, they've measured what it radiates in terms of radio waves, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and unintentional. They've measured power specs on it and seen that the power is, is uh, you know, safe for release. The same kind of things that, to get tested at Entertech and Underwriters Labs and things like that. The but But they've had one. When a number gets released and it comes from someone's retail system, it's less certain. Oh, okay, right, right. That you know, sense. when when someone's retail system leaks that there are six SKU numbers, it's 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 a good sign, but it's not positive confirmation of anything because retailers put placeholders into their systems so that when a model is populated, they can go ahead and have it for sale because it'll already be set up. Right. Plus, right. they can make mistakes, I suppose, as well, like any human beings. Can. They they yeah. can make mistakes. They can be using these placeholders for something else. They there there's it's it's not exactly anywhere as as confident as right. you know the government organization had one in hand. They could also just be kidding, you know. What the hell? Okay, right. You can say that. I don't know many retailers who just kid around with their inventory management, but wow. okay. You know, long day, a lot of customers. Uh, so you're Could confident yeah, that um, <laughs> March the 25th will happen and that if it does happen, there will be iPads. So I... No, 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 no. no. That's, that's a step too far. No. So I'm confident that there will probably be a March 25th event. Because it, all things kind of lead to that. We're going to see some invitations go out, maybe, what, the 17th, 18th, something like that? Yeah, doubtlessly. It's, well, it's always a week before, head. but yes, so that would fit. Right, right. So, but nothing says definitively that if these are iPads, which we suspect that they are, that these iPads will be released at said event. No, I was just thinking about that. You, 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 can, you can make a good guess about that, but, you know, they, they have released things just by posting those updates on the store mm. in years past, that you know, sort sort of more silent updates or just advertised on the online store kind of thing. They they don't necessarily need to use the event for that unless, well, who knows they want to. Well, do you? Um, this is probably a detail that no human being can remember, but uh, based on past records, when they announce an iPad, what are the odds that it will be released the same day? Um. As you say, there have been many generations of iPad, and it's not entirely certain. This historically, yeah, is is mixed. Usually, it's uh, it's the, the the thing they've been doing of late, which is available in two weeks. Nuts! I was afraid you'd say available that. Available on this date, kind of thing, and 
you know, but but that goes back a ways, right? So I, iPad 2, which carried on for forever. But when the iPad 2 was originally released, you know, there were people lining up for it day of that it was available. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone knew to line up for it day of that it was available because they said it'll be available in a week or whatever the actual time frame was. And so, well, well, I imagine they'd like to have things available day of that there are a few days for this because it's not just lining up Apple stores that they got to line up. They got to line up Walmart. They got to line up yeah. Target. They got to line up Best Buy. They got to line up all the other retailers that resell. And, you, you know, so... You don't know why I'm asking, so do you? Let's just make this very yeah, depressing. You're buying me a present, aren't you? Uh, I'm actually not in that financial New iPad league. for Victor. Thank you, William. That's so gracious of you. Gosh, wow. I'm in Britain. Do you know what's happened? At the time of recording, what's scheduled to happen a couple of days after March the 25th uh, is Brexit. And when you mentioned the yeah, CE you guys are, mark... You're, you're exiting something. You're leaving yeah. something, aren't you? Seriously, when you yeah. mentioned the CE mark, I suddenly thought, I bet nothing's been done about whether we continue with that. I mean, you would expect that it would. But I was, I was seriously <laughs> looking up government websites today on another project. And oh, no. the detail oh. isn't there. You know, we've only had <sighs> two years to sort all this out. And every day something else comes up. So um, I would like, please, for Apple to announce new iPads that fit Angela's requirements and well, release them in time for her to definitely get them and know that they're safe before we're out of Europe. I mean, you just you just need to pop over to um, to one of those neighboring countries using your shiny blue passport and uh, and pick one up there and take it back with you. Uh huh. Right. You, you're just going to visit France, aren't you? Well, I like France. Uh, I now have a choice of two passports to get me there. This is true. Yes. Uh, I have an Irish passport now. I would go through the process. I was I was interesting. Congratulations. Okay. So, yeah, you can pop on over to France and, and pick up an iPad and uh, ferry it back. Yeah, that won't add to the expense of buying one at all, will it? Let, please get me away from this. What, what do you figure the odds are... Um, when we've talked about this before, the March 20th event, there were really strong rumours that actually there was going to be no hardware, that it was all surface, all surface, excuse me, all services. Wait, and, that's a different company. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and strangely, I'm not as interested in that one. I just don't know why. Um, I haven't heard a stronger rumour since, but I haven't really been following in that particular end market. Uh, are we still looking at uh, all services and crossing our fingers for iPads? Or- well... I I would like to see something happen with this long gestating entertainment portion, right? Sure. Yes. The 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 TV kind of thing, the the star-studded shows, the productions. Let's let's get an announcement about that. Wouldn't that be great? Yes. Um we know a lot about new shows. I'm actually interested in the kind of the more um background stuff like they are it looks to me like apple will have bought a library of shows from somewhere because there was a story wasn't there last year that they were outbid for friends by netflix uh so the fact that they were looking at it says to me they are looking for bankable they they were markets. doing some syndication stuff yeah well and you, you you the problem is right you want to keep people in your ecosystem and you want to not run into a situation where people end up with with what I call the the 57 channels and nothing on, 
Yes, I think other people have used that term before as well. I can't think who, that, but that term is yes. a Bruce Springsteen lyric. I know it, com- it comes yes. from one of his songs. One of the innocent days when there were only fifty-seven channels. It seems so long ago, but yes. Well, so you know, in in the dark days of two thousand eight, I, I spent three months convincing my wife that we could cancel cable service, and the convincing argument was. Every night I turned on the telly and, and we sat down to watch and I'd say, you know, what's on? And she'd look at me and then say, well, there's law and order <laughs> okay. because there was always a law and order playing somewhere in the world at every minute of the day. Yes. Right. And, and, and basically nothing new so we could cancel it. And with Netflix, Netflix runs through these peaks and valleys where they have a ton of shows, people go and binge watch and then there's nothing on that people are interested in. Even though they have a wide catalog, there's there's – you sort of get fatigued and look at it and go, you know, I'm not interested in anything here. Mm. And people say the same thing of Hulu. And so what we we do is sort of we stack these services. You get Netflix, you get Hulu, you get one other, and then you find something among all of the services. Or you spent your entire evening flicking through the catalogs and indexes and lists. Yes, I, I'm not saying I've done that. No, of course not. Oh. So, so Apple does need to have a back catalog of things to keep people there after they the flagship shows have been binge watched i think so but like you say we'll see really um i'm looking forward to finding out more i hope obviously i hope it works you you always want everything to work uh but interesting to see what happens yeah one of the one of the big problems that i have with with these services is that it's really hard to find the gems within them it's it's difficult to be able to search and find the good things. Yeah. And there are, there are whole websites dedicated to here are the top 20 things that are awesome on Netflix this month kind of thing. Yes, I've actually just searched through all of those because a friend was uh, coming to the end of her Amazon Prime uh, subscription and said, well, I haven't got time to binge anything. Are there any particular films we all recommended? And it took me an hour and a half to find a film I really, really like, but I couldn't remember the title. So I read through loads and loads of uh, the best rom-coms on Amazon Prime, on Netflix and all this, and I finally found it. And she's, well, she says she's added it to her list. I don't know if she's watched it, but I went and bought it off iTunes just so I could have it. What was it? Your Sister's Sister. I've forgotten the name of the woman who wrote it. It's a really talented, gorgeous film. Very funny, absolutely stunningly well acted. Uh, love it. Your Sister's Sister, available on iTunes. You know, that, that's that's a real problem, right? Is that it's so difficult being able to find the appropriate thing. And, uh, you know, this podcast episode is supported by Captera. Now, Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. With over 700,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. And you can search more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. And join, you can join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. Visit captera.com slash Apple Insider for free today to find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. captera.com slash Apple Insider. captera, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Apple Insider. I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this to you, but I used to work a long time for Radio Times, the kind of UK equivalent of TV Guide. And uh, it was always an interesting issue with them because there were, throughout the time I was there, there was this ever burgeoning list of channels, how you actually got people 
the stuff they wanted. It sounds like we need a Radio Times for all of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. It really is. Joining us is Jason Opdyke from Verify, who is going to talk to us about both you know, some of the, the Wi-Fi systems that their company makes, as well as some of the, some opinions on Amazon and, and sort of the Wi-Fi space in the whole. And I'm really glad that he's available to join us. Welcome to this segment of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Jason Opdyke of Verify. Hi, Victor. How are you? Thank you for having me on today. Oh, I'm really glad you could join us. So we, we were talking uh, a couple of episodes ago about Wi-Fi. In the past, we've talked about how airport, uh, well, Apple, rather, made the airport and airport express devices, and they've kind of exited the market. And right. there's there's been sort of a gap left by them. Um, how would you describe that? Yeah, that's very interesting. I remember um, I remember when Apple left the market, it kind of came as a surprise to me because Apple at the time had a tendency to be ahead of the game. So when they made a move, that usually foretold something. And the, it was kind of hard to figure out exactly why they were getting out. Um, I know they had some public statements and things of that nature, but we kind of looked at it as there just were a lot of competitors in the game, a lot of routers, a lot of technology, and perhaps they just didn't feel like it was a profitable segment. You know, I don't know the exact reasoning, but being somebody that had used the airport and I felt like they were ahead of their time when they came out, but I did feel like a lot of competitors had caught up. And just to give you a brief background about our company, we actually haven't been in the router game until now. So we've made we've focused our specialties been on other types of Wi-Fi extension products. So we actually watched that news and witnessed that news from an outside perspective. We were not in the you know the router game at the time. Yeah, and I you know I think back historically. When Wi-Fi first started to be a thing, you didn't have a whole lot of choices, right? You had Cisco Aeronet, which was uh, – we had to go to Cisco University to learn how to configure. And right. there were a few other ones out there. You know, I think my first 802.11b station was a Buffalo Tech product years and years ago. And back then, they, they weren't very complex, right? You, you got a product, and if you opened it up, it was a reference design with a PCMCIA wireless card stuck inside. And right. and Apple changed things by using that same reference design and making software that everyone could go ahead and understand how to configure. And they did a fantastic job with that. And um, one of the reasons that we had not gotten into the router game early on is just because the technology was so – difficult even just to get set up with a modem nowadays you have all-in-one devices you have modems that can act as routers you have of course you know the mesh wi-fi which is you know what we'll discuss in just a little bit but you know back then you had the convoluted process of hooking up you know cables into a ethernet router you had uh, excuse me into a um you know into the ethernet ports on a modem you had to configure your modem you had to go in and you know if you were using dsl you had to do like a pp um you know setup as opposed to static ip there was all this complication and apple really did streamline that. And that's actually how we kind of got to um, come about being into business. Our company, Verify, actually started uh, in 2009 as a company called Bear Extender. Uh, my former business partner and co-founder was a student at University of California, Berkeley. And um, customers, that, or excuse me, students that were getting uh, weak Wi-Fi reception, like in dorms and on campus, if they had PCs, there were some range extenders for PCs available, but there was literally nothing for Mac. Apple had come along and done a great job with their airport line, but if you weren't able to get a good enough signal to a network uh, you know, with your Mac directly, there was really no option 
option for you to get any type of extension. And our very first product was just simply called Bear Extender, and it was a long-range USB Wi-Fi extender for Macs. You plug it in, you got a familiar-looking software screen that allowed you to connect to networks. So we kind of got to witness the evolution of the airport line while we were making you know, Wi-Fi extenders for Macs. And how long have you been doing that? So we started in 2009 doing that. We phased out the Mac USB line around 2014. And during the years in between, I believe it was 2011, I'd have to double check my timeline, but um, we started to get a lot of demand for PC versions. Even though there were some PC products out there, you referenced the PCMCIA, we were just going from the PCMCI standard on PCs to a lot of companies, manufacturers phasing that out in favor of just USB ports. And though there were some options, there weren't a ton available. So we launched Bear Extender PC a couple years after the Mac version. And then we came out with a Bear Extender Outdoor, which was an outdoor all-in-one antenna and receiver. It was useful in like campgrounds, RV parks, and just had a simple USB cable to come back into the computer. So that's what we've kind of done in between and in 2015, we started to get into the repeater game. That was when customers started to shift from wanting better range on their Mac or their PC to wanting better range for everything, their you know iPhones, their iPads, their tablets, their smart TVs. And so in 2015, we launched our first extension product, which was Bear Extender Edge, which was a single point range extender. And now we have the Verify Edge Mesh which is, you know, the mesh kit that you and I had discussed via email. Oh, okay, so for for me and for our listeners, can I ask you to explain to me for just a moment what the difference is between a repeater and a mesh system? Excellent question. Excellent question. So a repeater is basically a device that picks up a signal and it sends it out as another Wi-Fi signal. So in the early days of repeaters, you know, when we were coming into the technology in 2014, 2015, if somebody was trying to pick up signal on one side of their house and they couldn't get it, they would oftentimes go get a repeater. And your listeners are probably familiar with this. They've probably gone to Best Buy and tried one from one of the big brands. It's a device you plug into a wall and you set up, and it sends out a separate network, usually with like the letters EXT on the end of it. And they may work okay. There's some of that drop in speed problem that you referenced on a previous uh, uh, podcast. But the biggest issue is if you, you know, have a home with multiple floors or, you know, you're trying to get signal from one side of the house to the other, oftentimes the repeater wouldn't be enough. So you'd have to go get another repeater and then you'd have to program that one separately and they wouldn't be talking to each other. You'd have three different subnetworks going on in your house. So that was kind of the original repeater technology. And then the mesh technology gets more into – it still operates on the same basic premise, the idea of you know repeating a Wi-Fi signal or extending one. But it does it all without you having to configure each different device with each different extender node on your network. They're all programmed to communicate out of the box with each other. So everything stays on the same subnetwork, and you don't have to go configure multiple devices and set up, you know, three, four, five different networks in your house. Now, when we've done some some mesh node testing in the past with other people's manufacturer, with other people's products, with other manufacturers' products, their their software setup has frequently led to anywhere from ten to twenty five different app screens that you have to step through, and right. you know they they take five steps to set up the initial node, the initial network base that connects to your network, and then repeat them all for each additional node kind of thing. 
Is there anything you can do to make that easier? Well, we've done it, actually. With the Verify Edge Mesh, this setup is something we paid very close attention to. Like I said, we got our start uh, appealing directly to Mac users. We were all Mac users when we launched the original Barrick Center. So we've tried to keep a close eye on the user experience over the years. And with our Barrick Center Edge repeater from 2015, even though, you know, historically from a performance standpoint, you know, I have to admit, it was probably just average, maybe a little above average. What I really loved about it was the user interface, this single kind of setup design that we had. And we've tried to carry that over to the edge mesh. So simply, when you open the product up and you plug it in, there's going to be a Wi-Fi signal by default that broadcasts in your home called Verify. You connect to it, you sign in. Um, because of the crack vulnerability, which your readers may be familiar with, it does uh, make you change the password when you log in. We don't want to have users leave these with any type of default administrator password. So it requires you to change the password. And then you just get a choice of two different modes. Our router is the first dual mode uh, mesh router available. Um, I can get more into that in a little bit. But you pick the mode you want, whether you want the uh, Wi-Fi extender mode or the router mode. And based on what mode you select, there's one more screen where you, you know, either set the router option if you're doing it in router mode or you pick out the Wi-Fi network you're extending if you're doing the extender mode. And then you're basically finished. So we really try to cut down all the different screens that users see and cut down on that complex nature that users may be familiar with in setting up products in the past. Yeah, networking is one of those things that, that has traditionally been um... – difficult for consumers. And, and I know in my history where I was making products, we tended to avoid it just because we knew how much of a support nightmare it could become. True, true. It's difficult for manufacturers too, because we want to do so many things for the user, especially if our competitors are offering various features. As manufacturers, we want to make a product that's going to wash your dishes, set your alarm, do all these things, and also extend your Wi-Fi. And when you try to, the more you try to do, the more complex, you know, it can be for a user because now they have all these options and settings to choose from and they're not really sure what option they can do. And I learned from my early years in manufacturing, you know, number of the calls we'd get, I try to listen in as often as I could on our technical support calls. Users just simply wouldn't know what to click here or here. And I'd find out that there was a gap between engineering and the product design team that wrote the manual. So there was something in an early product we had, which was called a turbo boost. Well, the users weren't really sure if they should enable that or not. Now, it may seem obvious. Well, let's just go ahead and click it and see what it does. But even in that case, you know, we didn't do a good job explaining what it was. Now, this was 10 years ago, and we've learned a lot. But you're absolutely correct that sometimes there can be so much. So what we've tried to do with this product is just kind of strip down what the user is seeing and just really get at the core of giving good coverage and the best speed possible as well. Yeah, cool. Now, I, I you mentioned dual mode, right? Whether it was a router or or uh, extending a network. Can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. So when we looked into doing a mesh product, you know, we looked out there and we saw there was already the Google Home Wi-Fi. There was already the Eero. We were kind of listening from our customers that were asking for a Verify Mesh product, like what specifically they would want that they couldn't already get from you know an existing product that was on the market. So with the dual mode, we have two options. We have the router mode, and that's pretty much default the default mode that any mesh setup works with. You simply replace your existing router with the main unit of the mesh kit, and then you 
or the extender unit somewhere else in the house and everything's on the same sub network and you just have one network in the house. So that's, that's the router mode. The Wi-Fi extender mode allows you to use the mesh kit to repeat an existing Wi-Fi signal. So, for example, if you have a high-end gaming router in your home already and you're just looking to extend coverage, you don't really want to replace that router, you can set up the main Verify Edge mesh unit further away from your home router and enable the Wi-Fi extender mode and basically extend that signal that's coming from your existing router. So it allows you to cover more area with fewer mesh units. And as long as you make the SSID during setup the same as your home network, you can roam throughout the house, um, you know, and you can either, that, that basically means your computer, if you're close to your main router, it'll be on your main router. If you're closer to a verified device, it'll jump over to that seamlessly. Um, so that's what the Wi-Fi extender mode does. And then, of course, the router mode is basically if you want everything to be on the same IP chain, if you have uh, you know, any music server set up in your house, something like that, where you want everything to be on the same subnetwork, then you would just simply replace your main router uh, with a Verify Edge Mesh main unit and then plug in satellites wherever you'd like to have extensions. So you might need an extra satellite in that type of case, but you'll still get good coverage overall. When you're doing that extender mode, do does, does everything that's verified downstream from that extender act as a mesh or, or does it act more like the extenders of old? Um, so everything, it's, it's still a mesh network. That's what's really cool about it. So everything on the network is still going to work just like it's a mesh network. And there are some cool tricks that you can do to kind of still, if you're trying to keep everything on the same subnetwork, you can do some pretty cool things that allow you to do that. In fact, I was um, listening in on a call a couple weeks ago, and the gentleman did not want to um, have his devices on, you know, two different subnetworks, but he was trying to extend coverage in such a way that it just wasn't possible. He had a three-story house, and one of the issues you run into with Wi-Fi, regardless of what any marketers tell you, is that Wi-Fi signals generally don't go up and down very well. They go across just fine, but vertically they don't go up and down very well. So if you have a three-story home, it can be difficult to put a mesh router on the first floor and still get good coverage on the third floor because satellites don't chain. You can't go from a main unit to a satellite to another satellite to another satellite. The way mesh technology works is everything you know communicates with the main router. So it's kind of like a spider effect where your you know, main mesh router is your core and then you have satellites in a circular pattern. So in, yeah. a, in, the, in the case of a three-story home, you would have to put the mesh unit you know, the mesh, uh, main mesh router on the second floor, and then you could still have a satellite downstairs and upstairs. And because they're Ethernet enabled, you could still make use of your main router by sending the signal from the main router upstairs to the Verify. And then from there, the Verify will send it to the satellites on the other floors. That would be in the Wi Fi extender mode. Yeah, we used to call that hub and spoke in the old days. Right, right. <laughs> Which just shows how, how I'm dating myself now. But, uh, <laughs> Can you can you use Ethernet between the main router and between the Verify satellites? Is that possible? You know, if you had a home, and I know there are very few now, but if you had a home that had Ethernet in the walls, could you go between the floors doing that? If you mean to create like a, a separate backhaul, um, with AC1200, you, you can't as far as I understand. Um, you can set up the Verify main unit uh, as an access point off of any Ethernet source, whether it's a router or if you wanted to plug one in upstairs. But if you, you know, if you had a satellite upstairs, that would not, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have two data streams, one by Wi-Fi and one by Ethernet, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That was kind of the question was if you could use the Ethernet as the backhaul, but, uh, 
Yeah, I, I would have to double. I uh, would have to double check on that with our engineering team. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I'm fairly certain that the satellites, you know, they can uh, they can source uh, or they can output to Ethernet, but they can't input while they're also communicating with the main router. Okay, well, I, I apologize for ambushing you with a feature request. But, uh. Oh no, not at all. That's something. I like. I said, I'm ninety percent sure on that. I do want to double check on that because that's the first time that I've been asked it outright. But I do believe from my um, familiarity with the development of the product that that was not something we were able to do. I just want to put that disclaimer in there in case I get a text in a few minutes from one of our engineers, <laughs> uh, you know, chewing me out or something like that. Nice. So, so. I, I ask that in part because I'm interested, but also because we, that's the kind of question that I get from some of our listeners. And uh, one of the things that I, I also have been asked recently is, is, you know, we saw that Amazon news about them purchasing a Wi-Fi provider. And one of the questions that, that people have asked me is, why should we be concerned about that or why should anyone care? And I, I wondered if you could give an opinion about that or just speak a little bit about what what that makes, how that matters and, and, you know, your take on security and, and what security means. Absolutely. So that was, that was fascinating news to me. It, it, you know, Walmart launched in the fall, their own series of Wi-Fi routers. Um, they're not making them themselves. They're, uh, basically sourcing them from Chinese manufacturers, but they're branding them as Walmart. And I long thought that Amazon might try to do the same thing. They have 76, I believe, at last count, private label brands. I was surprised to see them acquire such a major player in Eero. And you brought up on a previous podcast the concern of data snooping, the idea that they may closely monitor not only the traffic you know, that's going on on Amazon, but possibly other things as well. And when I was listening to that, and even in the news of the acquisition, you know, I think that's a huge concern. Um, you mentioned in the show something along the lines of you have to trust someone, right? Like, so if you're not going to trust Amazon, you have to trust Netgear, you have to trust Verify. Somebody's going to be processing your data. And that's all very true, but I think most consumers don't want to have all their eggs in one basket. I, I know just speaking for myself as a private citizen, I don't want to have every single device in my home coming from one manufacturer. I want them to work well, but there is some concern, and I think it's a founded concern too because, you know, without getting into – you know, I don't really like to get into criticizing Amazon so much, but when you look at how they've taken – uh, search metrics, the, the, their ability to see what consumers are buying and what they're searching for, and then establish their own competing brands to compete directly with sellers on their site. It goes to show you, I think your guest on the show said something along the lines of just because they can, will they? Um, they've shown in the past that almost everything they've done has a purpose and they've, they've done something off of that. So I, I would be concerned. And I think, you know, I've read a lot in the blogosphere and on Facebook and Twitter, there is some concern out there. And it's, you know, it's merited concern. It doesn't mean anything bad's going to happen. But as an individual consumer trying to separate myself from my role here at Verify, I definitely would be concerned. And at Verify, what we're looking for in future versions is to kind of shore that up, um, you know, possibly offer VPN service, things that would give the user 
uh, better access to logs, ideas of where their data is going, if anyone's looking at it and who, things like that. So our R&D department is really busy looking at ways that if customers do come over to verify products, perhaps they owned an euro or perhaps they're just getting into the market, they can have a level of satisfaction that, yeah, they have to trust someone, but you know, here's why they can trust us is because we're going to be very transparent and we don't have any ulterior motive. We don't really want any of our users you know, online habits because we're not going to do anything in it. We're not in any other business. We're only in the business of making your Wi-Fi better. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your making time to speak with us and, and help me better understand about this. Um, what would you say is the number one compelling reason that when it comes time to replace our Wi-Fi, we should go ahead and get a Verify unit? That's a great question, too, and uh, it's hard to narrow it down to one compelling reason. What we try to do with this product is, like I said, make something that offered dual purpose, whether users are trying to repeat an existing signal, set up their own router. Um, we have over 10 years of proprietary range extension technology in our company's portfolio, so we wanted to make something that would offer greater coverage with fewer uh, mesh units so the user wouldn't have to go purchase three or four or five units. Um, we also wanted to come in at a lower cost, lower price point, so we've really tried to be competitive in that regard. We've seen some competing systems go for $300, $400, and just customers don't need to pay that much for good coverage in their home. So I don't know if I could narrow it down to one specific reason, but I would say for all those reasons, I definitely think it's worth uh, your viewer, your listeners uh, checking out our brand online and definitely have them reach out to us with any questions. And if you if we have a chance to be back on your show to talk about any other uh, news related to the industry, certainly love to do that. Thank you so much. Let me, let me ask one final question. Uh, where Where is Verify available? Where should people go to check it out? Absolutely. So, ironically, um, Amazon is a great is a great option right now um, to buy. That's where people tend to go. We get a lot of people asking if it's on there. People love that prime shipping. So, we are on Amazon. You can go online at verify.com. That's just the word bear with IFI, like from Wi-Fi on the end, verify.com. Uh, we're also available on Newegg, eBay, other online channels as well. Fantastic. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really appreciate you being here today. All right, thank you, Victor. I appreciate it and love listening to the show. Travelers are going to have headaches. As if traveling wasn't difficult enough, there are now FAA, Federal Aviation uh, Administration, rules banning fully charged lithium-ion batteries as cargo. As uh, stowaway, um, in the hold cargo, Yeah, you mean? Yeah, in the hold. Oh, yeah. right, because previously that's where I've always chucked my bigger anchor battery and kept the smaller one in carry-on in case I needed it. But I'm... Um, yeah. Yeah, so there are rules that say that any devices that end up being shipped via plane have to be at 30% or less in order to fly. Wow. <laughs> now, practically speaking, that, that makes sense if you were an electronics firm, right? If you were Apple using planes to move your product, then you can say, yeah, we verify that all the devices are 30% charged. If you're a traveler and you chuck a device in the, the, the yes. storage hold um, – my expectation is that instead of checking that it's at 30%, they're just going to tell you, no, you can't, because practically there's no way to investigate all that, right? No, there isn't. But I'm also tickled by the idea after all these years of us wanting more charging points in airports, thing, now we're going to want places where you can discharge a bit more. So, okay. 
Yeah, well, yeah. Tickled me. No, and there are limits on the amount of battery that you can take on board, right? E, e, uh, yeah. The battery is has to be less than 27,000 milliamp hours. And uh, I'm aware that there have been rules. Um, I haven't really paid attention because I don't think anything I've got has exceeded them. But I'm a bit self-conscious about that now. <laughs> I should... Look into it. Well, there there are companies that make batteries like uh, like Zendure, for example, that make them just up to that limit, so that these are the ones you take on the plane. And they they're very popular with pilots, for example, who use applications on their iPad as the flight book. Oh, fair enough. You mean to say aircraft don't have a USB socket that you can just plug in for a quick charge when you're flying over the Atlantic? God. Well, some of them do. Okay. <laughs> You know, that, that Dreamliner, right? That Boeing Dreamliner does. I'm sure one of the Airbus has, but who knows? Who knows, man? Um, well, gosh, this has been a, a big episode. Um, I, I want to point out that we are coming up, you know, in the summertime. So we're beginning to creep towards that WWDC, and we're going to start hearing more rumors about WWDC. And uh, Apple's head of Swift development, Ted Kremenek has provided insight into the development of Swift 5, which is an upcoming major milestone release for Swift. And they've, they're doing their own podcast about what coders should expect and how Apple is figuring out which features to add to versions. And, and so they talk a little bit about how they use Swift internally. And I think that's interesting. Oh, absolutely. Have you used Swift much? Um, I, I have used the Playgrounds application a little bit. So. I haven't gotten into it. Uh, one of the things that I watch is I, I listen to a lot of developers and, and talk with them as they talk about the cost of switching to Swift. And the the problems have been that the language has not really been stable. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. That's... Well, they, they keep developing it. And as they keep developing it, so much changes that from one build to the next, that, that from one version of the language to the next – all their stuff breaks, which means you have to spend a lot of time on on maintaining applications and updating things and figuring out why something broke. Goodness. And for some developers, that's a giant pain and they could do whatever they had been trying to do yeah. in Objective-C much easier. I'm really surprised about yeah. that. I knew about the continual developments, but I, I unthinkingly assumed it was incremental uh, stuff, not that it was, you know, Roots and Brandt changes in the middle. That's very interesting. So uh, do we know anything yeah. about uh, whether Swift 5 is going to sort that out? That's kind of the hope, is that it's more mature and that these these things become less of an issue. Because Apple really does position this as, you know, the thing for younger coders to learn, right? It's part of the Everyone Can Code sessions. It's part of the Playgrounds app. It's, it's, it's basically the path forward. Now, you may remember way back in history, in the dawn of everything, where... Apple used to have Cocoa oh, yes, yes. And, and Carbon as their two libraries for, for doing this kind of graphics stuff. And Carbon was supported from System 9, for OS 9 rather, all the way into uh, to OS 10 for several versions. And then they finally ended it, right? Mm -hmm. But they sort of signaled that it was coming to an end for a long way off. And could they get rid of Objective-C and make everyone use Swift? Well, I think that's maybe a longer term plan. But I don't think Swift 5 is the one where they do that. I think that they would have to set developers up with a much longer lead to do that. Oh, it's been quite a while. I'm astonished that it's Swift 5 already because I, I looked at it seriously. I, at the time Swift first came out, I was involved in an app project um, 
And in the end, I actually got somebody, I hired somebody to complete it for me. And I can't remember if we use Swift or not, but there was no time uh, for me to learn it, to hit the deadlines to do it. But it, what yeah. I saw of it looked really interesting. And I always intended when that project was done to go back and have a play myself. And now here we are, five versions down the line, and I haven't got around to it. So. Well, just, just for, you know, anecdotal point, the, the first comment on the story that we ran about this says, in this next version of Swift, will I suddenly get 4,000 errors due to fundamental syntax being changed? And if so, will the change be documented or will I have to go to Stack Overflow for the correct replacement code? Because that's been the, the, the history of the transitions between versions is that stuff changes so wildly, everything breaks. Now, the second comment says, changes become less onerous with new versions, but they're still there. Well, that is the, the real issue, right? The point, the point is kind of valid. Mm. Well, I guess we'll uh, we won't see on March twenty fifth or whenever they announce this, but shortly afterwards, when people have got their hands on it and using it, then we'll see. Mm. Yeah. Well, this this brings us to the end of a fantastic podcast. I'm so glad we had you know you here. I'm so glad that we had Jason from Verify here. Yes, I love it when you it's, get people on like that. It's so interesting to hear them. You know, go straight to the people who are actually doing this stuff. Love it. Well, you know, they, they have the battle scars. They've shipped product. They know what's involved. Yeah. And and especially a networking product where networking is not an easy topic. It's it's one of those things where, you know, the support calls will kill you if you're not prepared for, for how to hel- handhold someone through all the different variations of networking. Right. <laughs> and, and Sorry, it just gives me the basically twitch even considering it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Right. Why, why am I not online? Well, okay, how is your cable modem working? Is your DSL modem working? Is your phone, you know, the, yeah. the, just the basics, right? What's connected to what? What's plugged into what? Is it getting an IP address from the other thing? It's it's not exactly easy. And so it's a real accomplishment to be able to take something like that and make it approachable. There's an IT support guy at a corporation I used to work at a long time ago uh, who I deeply liked and trusted completely and really admired what he knew. And he actually offered me a job on his support team. And I just looked at him as much as I would like to work for the guy. The idea of comprehending the network problems they were having then is just impossible. I can write about it, but he's the one who can actually do it. Well, you saved yourself innumerable headaches and prevented hair loss, I'm sure, <laughs> because you would have been pulling it out. I'm, I'm s- recovering slowly from app development, and part of the recovery was hoovering up the circle of hair around my chair. Yeah. William, where can people find you on the internet? I am now looking at Swift a lot on uh, Twitter, where I'm at W Gallagher, or of course, people can email uh, William at Insider. Com, which actually I really like. Love that. It's a nice start to the day to come in and see a pile of messages. Thank you for those. I'm Victor. You can email me at william at appleinsider.com. And uh, I am also found on wristwatchreview.com. Seriously, though, I'm vmarks on Twitter and, and victor at appleinsider.com. Nice. And I love hearing from you guys. It's so nice to hear from you, especially when, when you tell us where we're doing well and where we can improve. Thank you so much. Uh, please leave great reviews at iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. It helps us out. And we will be back next week with more. Thank you, William. Thank you. Bye.